0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 129 of the Farm Traveler podcast. I am your host, Trevor Williams, and I I don't really know if you can tell, but I'm a little hoarse, not very, but a little bit hoarse. Allie and Molly, which is Allie's sister, you know, my sister-in-law, we went to the Florida State-Miami football game this weekend, this past weekend, and it was the first FSU football game I've been to since, actually, the last time we played Miami at home in 2019, and this game was absolutely incredible. It was up and down, it was absolutely amazing, and basically... Florida State came back and won in like the last, I don't know, 45 seconds and we all went nuts. And so the next day I had no voice and it slowly gotten a little bit better. So it was a blast. But anyway, um, back to today's episode. Today on the show, we are joined with Daniel Sell. Um, If you follow him on Instagram, you might know him as Farmer Dan. So Dan is, you guessed it. He is a farmer in Texas. He is actually a seventh generation farmer. And on his farm, he grows wheat and milo, which maybe you have or have not heard of milo. It actually goes by a very common name, which you'll find out in the episode. I'm going to tease you there a little bit. Um, And Dan and I are also going to talk about um, what he does with crop rotation, how his planting schedule looks like. Um, If they do no-till and no-till fertilizing and kind of what that entails and what that's like. And also how he's built a really good following on Instagram and YouTube. He's got, I think, something like over 30,000 followers on Instagram. He's got, I believe, 2,000 followers on his YouTube channel. And he's got a bunch of awesome videos that kind of explain what he's doing, his farming practices, and a lot of really great stuff. So go check it out. Um, All of that will be linked in the description of this episode. So yeah, we have a great conversation. It was super awesome chatting with Dan. Oh, uh, this was super cool. So him and his wife actually got married a few months ago. And then I believe he said they're waiting to do their honeymoon into December. And so after they got married, they went straight back to working. And so he was telling me how that's kind of a a crazy adjustment, but how it was super fun. Um, So yeah, I think you'll enjoy this episode. Again, it is with Farmer Dan. And be sure to follow him on all of his social media channels whenever you can. And quick little side note: this episode is brought to you by you. Um, I just want to say thank you. This podcasting journey has been awesome as we're slowly winding down 2021. Um, you know, we've done 129 episodes, I believe over three and a half years. And we've got an awesome following. Like, thank you all very, very much. Um, In the beginning, I really wanted to, you know, have one of the biggest podcasts out there, which I think is still kind of a little bit of a goal, but I've noticed we've built a really great following of some awesome family members, friends, and all that good stuff. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much for listening. Um, I really, really appreciate it. And I'm glad that you've stuck around for over three years. And so I'm excited to see where 2022 takes us. We're already going to go to... Allie and I are actually going to be visiting the Southeast Regional Fruit and Vegetable Conference in Savannah. That's going to be super nice. And we're going to tour the trade show floors, talk to a bunch of awesome companies and farmers just kind of learn from them. So that will be fun. So yeah, big things popping. Like that song. I can't remember who it is. Is it Dr. Dre? No, I don't know. Anyway, so yeah, um, episode 129 with Farmer Dan. Hope you enjoy it. And thank you so much for listening. All right. Well, Daniel Sell, welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. So I am excited to chat with you. Um, I found your profile, I think like a week ago, and I was checking out all your really cool content. And I was like, dude, I need to have this guy on because you're <laughs> you're like, a, I mean, it seems like you're a jack of all trades. You're a seventh generation farmer in Texas. You do a bunch of cool videos. I mean, you've got a YouTube channel, you do TikTok. So it seems like you've got a lot going on, huh?
2: Yeah, yeah, I try to keep busy. And so, yeah, we just just been kind of doing social media, having some fun with that, and it's really, uh, it's really taken off here the past years or two years or so,
1: and uh, it's been a blast. I bet. Yeah, I mean, with thirty three thousand followers on Instagram, that's a pretty big deal. That's not bad at all. Yeah. Um, nope. So kind of tell us about your background. Like how did you get started farming? I mean, obviously it's kind of in the family, but kind of tell us of your whole background story and what you're doing.
2: Well, uh, my name is Farmer Dan on any social media you're looking at, but uh, I grew up on a farm and uh, basically, I mean, I just, I've I've always said it's in my blood and I really do think it is. Uh, I just love the way that agriculture works and how you're just connected with the soul and everything in part with that. And Uh, from a young age I just knew that it was something that I wanted to do and uh, been chasing after that dream ever since and uh, our farm is located in the northeastern panhandle of Texas and we grow uh, hard red winter wheat and milo or sorghum as some people might know it and uh, get asked all the time well Dan why don't you just grow corn and beans like the rest of us and (laughs) <laughs> I guess the obvious answer is, well, we don't have enough rain for it. So uh, we're a drier area for farms. I know there's guys that get less than us. I was talking to a buddy of mine in Washington just a while ago, and he only gets seven inches of rain per year. But uh, our, our rainfall average is sitting at right at 17 inches uh, per year. And it's just hard to, especially if you're a dry land farmer, which all of our ground is dry land. Uh, it's just hard to warrant having beans or corn or anything else like that because they just need so much more water to grow and because of that we just I don't know we don't we don't uh, raise that and it works out for us uh, sorghum is a very drought tolerant crop it does well in tough situ- situations and uh, it still is able to bring bring some uh, yields up and, and at least keep us you know away from going broke and uh, the wheat, it just works as a good uh, way to uh, have a rotation on our soil and our ground, and uh, yeah, <laughs> it works out pretty well. Uh, I started using social media about six years ago, back when I was like a teenager having some fun, you know, just doing what everybody else was doing. And uh, it just, you know, as one thing led to another, I started getting more followers, and people were more interested in seeing what I do, and uh, it's it's evolved to where I have like I don't know. Over 100,000 people following me uh, on a couple of different platforms. And I don't know, it's it's kind of a daunting number. But when you really consider it, it's not that many people uh, compared to what like even in one state. And so uh, I hope we can continue growing in terms of followers and just kind of get the word out about what agriculture really is. And instead of what people in the mainstream media might say.
1: I like that. I mean, that's such a cool perspective. And, um, so going over of that, I've heard of, I've heard of sorghum before a lot. I have never heard it called Milo before. And so mm-hmm. what, it, what really is sorghum used for? Like, what are some of the main commodities that you might get out of it?
2: You know, it's a, a lot of, it just goes for feed. Uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot of pig farms and, uh, feed lots around here and a lot of it gets sold to them and they mix it in with other grains and stuff, uh, to feed them. But a lot of people don't know this, but China is a, uh, a big contender when it comes to sorghum they like to use it and uh not many people may know this but the milo is actually gluten-free and so there's actually some uh bread cereals there's some food made out of it i've never had anything the only sort of food that i've had from milo is you can grow a a a variety that's called popcorn milo and it does not taste the same as popcorn but it's still kind of fun (laughs) but uh you know there oh, mainly it goes for feed like for pigs or cattle is what it really is the main use of it okay and exactly uh, i don't make. i don't exactly know why we call it milo versus sorghum i know there's an article i read like a year ago about it but i don't think there's anything pertinent to the detail it's just easier to say milo i guess
1: <laughs> yeah it is a little bit easier to say especially if you haven't seen that word sorghum before i was thinking yeah. that milo might have been like a different variety or maybe even like the manufacturer of the seed but i mean that that's kind of cool i mean it good, could like, be yeah there's, there's true.
2: you know there's forage sorghum you know there's and there, it's a lot i always think like if you're trying to imagine what corn or excuse me milo looks like it's kind of like a smaller shorter plant compared to to uh corn and it produces a head instead of like a cob or something and I, if i remember right there's at least i don't know seven or eight hundred seeds per plant uh that it produces and so you know it's it's not on it's not very uh typical to get a high yield of milo around here not like corn but it still does enough to do well for itself
1: mm. well, well that's good to hear then and so you were talking earlier you grow wheat and sorghum, so you do, do you rotate those two crops? We do. So uh, let's, uh, let's imagine just a section of land,
2: and uh, we put that section of land into three-thirds. Uh, the first third right now has wheat on it uh, that we planted earlier in oh, September or early October. And then the next third has milo on it uh, that was planted this year. And then that last third has uh, wheat stubble from this year's wheat crop. So uh, for those wondering, we always have one piece of ground, that's leave out ground that helps us kind of reduce the the disturbance in the soil. And uh, we actually no till that and plant Milo on it next year. And that helps us kind of can keep some moisture in there. Uh, We do a lot of no till fertilizing on that as well. And uh, for we only we only cut two crops out of the three thirds, but there's always that one leave out uh, for the next year, and we just kind of rotate uh, those that leave out ground onto the next, and so uh, it, it works out well. And we we're actually one of the first farms around here to start doing that practice, and uh, most everybody around here does that now, and uh, it it doesn't it's it does a great job at. Keeping the soil healthy, and also conserving it and uh, not letting it erode away.
1: Mm. Yeah, the more and more I learn about no-till operations, especially kind of like larger farms that are do, that are doing it, it's really interesting to hear because you know I always thought that before you could plant, you had to clear the land and just basically just have your topsoil. But I mean, now yeah. a lot of people are are using those no-till methods because it leaves a lot of that stuff to decompose and it basically acts as fertilizer, right?
2: Oh yeah, yeah. So. So we only no-till one-third of that ground. Now, like for us, the after we finish wheat harvest, that wheat stubble stays there, uh, and it'll protect that soil. It not only protects the soil from blowing, uh, another thing is it conserves moisture because that's a little bit of a cover on the soil. It's not a defined cover crop, but it's still some cover. And uh, it's also it also helps the milo uh, when it's being planted, when it's a young plant, Uh, to get uh, to protect itself from being burnt out because we get some high winds here in the Panhandle, and you can lose a crop pretty quickly if it's a hot wind Mm -hmm. and so that stubble kind of serves as a as a barrier for it as well.
1: That's true I never really thought about that though I mean it's really protecting a lot of those seeds from you know flying Mm -hmm. the coop that would not be bueno (laughs) I mean you'd you'd be losing a lot of your money there.
2: (laughs) You would you would.
1: So um, it's been fun following farmers this year because you know harvest 2021 has kind of just ended and i know you guys have finished harvest because i've been watching some of your videos and stuff so Mm -hmm. what's kind of the whole harvest schedule for you guys like are y'all harvesting twice a year like what's that whole planting versus harvesting harvesting season like
2: yeah so the wheat the hard red winter wheat we'll plant that in the late fall early fall area depending on what kind of rainfall we have Mm. and that'll grow and be ready for harvest in late june or july so that's our first harvest. And then our second harvest is typically, it was actually early this year, but typically with Milo, we need a hard freeze to kill the plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's farms further down South that will actually spray like a cheap little herbicide on the Milo to kill it in order to, to harvest it. Cause it's a lot easier to harvest. But for us, since we're so close to cold weather anyway, with the Milo and our growing season, we've never had to uh, do that. But Uh, typically we need a hard freeze to kill the plant and then usually harvest starts all typically on average it's after halloween and it goes for about two weeks and that's about it so uh two times a year usually in the summer and the fall and so it it works out it's nothing like uh you know the normal guys just cut in the fall and that's it but we get a little bit of action in the summer as well
1: yeah that's kind of good kind of double dipping there i mean that's pretty handy Mm -hmm. being in texas so yeah, I'm here in North Florida. And we've got a couple of farmers that do that. They kind of double dip harvesting and um, planting twice in the year. Yeah, I mean here in North Florida, it gets cold, but not too cold where you can't have some stuff living throughout the winter. So that's always kind of interesting to see. You bet. That's cool. So also, I, I, I hope it's not weird, you know, stalking you. I always try to stalk people's Instagrams before <laughs> yeah, <it's> interviews. Okay. <laughs> that way I know like some good questions. So You also got married a few months ago, and then right after that, you and your wife are harvesting again. So I mean, I know planning a wedding is hectic, and then going (laughs) right back to work is probably even more hectic. So what was that whole experience like?
2: Well, I've been dating my wife for a year and a half, and I asked her to marry me. And then uh, because of college and some other things, we just were not able to get married uh, right away. (laughs) We were actually, our wedding date was actually set for December 12th of this year. And uh, a lot of people thought we had gotten pregnant, but we didn't do that. And we just moved up our wedding uh, to September because we were just tired of of waiting, tired of having to plan this. There's so much stress involved in a wedding. I never would have believed it. Mm. I don't ever want to do it again. (laughs) (laughs) uh, And hopefully I don't. But uh, yeah, we got married and then uh, pretty much turned right around and we were actually we're actually uh, planting wheat the two days after our uh, wedding. And uh, we'll, we'll go on a honeymoon later this year, hopefully up to Colorado. But, you know, it, it was pretty hectic. Uh, we live about six hours away from each other. And so it's been a long distance relationship for quite a while. And I don't know, it was, it was definitely a working deal, but uh, we got married and uh, hopefully it's happily ever after, right?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah. So my wife and I got married, I think, um, three years ago. And Mm -hmm. yeah, that whole planning, the thing was a whole ordeal. I mean, like, you know, us men, there's stuff you never really think about. Like, what what (laughs) color are the chargers? What color do all the flowers need to be the whole guest list? And you're like, oh, man, there's so much you got to (laughs) do.
2: Yeah, there was I just I Oh, I don't know how wedding planners do it. Like people that actually have that profession. I Mm -hmm. would die
1: oh well, yeah that would that would not be fun not be fun at all um uh, no, no i gotta ask did y'all drive away on one of your big junk deer tractors
2: that would have been fun to do but <laughs> i didn't even think about it i should have that would have been a
1: blast but... <laughs> that would have been really cool that i feel like you don't see that a whole lot even in like i mean weddings of farmers i, I feel like i haven't seen that a whole lot
2: probably because then you'd really want to like shine it up and i'm sure there's people uh... out there that would but I'm too lazy to wash a tractor all the time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That would be a lot of work for sure. That's funny. So how are you using... I mean, you've got YouTube, you've got Instagram, you've got TikTok. I mean, what is your whole deal behind it? Like, are you wanting to kind of showcase what you're doing? Are you wanting to educate people on like how crops are grown? What was your whole kind of inspiration behind that and behind using all those different tools?
2: Well, I guess for me, I started out with Instagram. That's what really... Just was that's my go to when I'm doing any sort of post or you know videos or anything, that's where I start. And uh, for me, I honestly, I kind of have different personalities for each app, (laughs) and so like on TikTok, that's all just fun and games, there's very few uh, quote unquote informational videos, and those never go anywhere anyway. Mm. And so, it's more just a showcase of what farmers are like, we aren't just all you know billies and overalls chewing on a piece of straw or something you know we've got fun and we do things and we're not just you know doing whatever <laughs> I lost my train of thought there but uh, for for me I I see social media just as a fun way to connect with uh, consumers but not even that but just with other farmers shoot I've met I've, I've dro- driven up to Minnesota to meet guys I mean I've been quite a quite a, quite a few places. Uh, throughout the nation just meeting different farmers that I've met on the internet and I think if I'd have told my mom I was doing that you know 10 years ago (laughs) I probably (laughs) she probably wouldn't be happy meeting strangers but you know it's a community it really is and I enjoy being able to talk to people there's uh, there's there's a group of guys that have a podcast and uh, the the way they put it is they can go and complain to other guys on social media because they're not their competition they're not their uh their neighbors hearing that they had a bad year or something like that and so you can kind of go you know blow a little steam off by talking with friends and that's that's for me is where it's at i've met a lot of good people and made a lot of connections and you know there's education on both sides i feel like sometimes farmers can be pretty ignorant uh, about what farming is outside of their little world and uh you know nine times out of ten when they when it comes to hate uh it's a farmer about about something that i do that they just either don't understand or unwilling to uh comprehend and so it's it's interesting to see that but that's where it's at most times but for me i mean just there's tiktok i just make videos have some fun and uh try to uh uh entertain really there's nothing to it for me and i've hit off pretty well these past couple of years and uh, i'm still shooting for that one million views mark i know i've got quite a few videos that are close to it but i've never made it yet and that's (laughs) annoying but uh youtube i started that this uh summer and i kind of fell off i've got a video planned for tomorrow it's just it's hard for me to uh justify the time of carrying a camera around while working and then spending hours and on hours to to edit and so especially when I'm not getting anything back from those videos yet it'd be great if I could get some money uh for them uh but I'm not there yet but uh yeah that that was a broad stroke man (laughs) I hope you can kind of I'm I'm sure you'll want to pick in closer on some of that but uh, that that was kind of a broad stroke of kind of what social media is to me and uh, actually believe it or not I met my wife over Instagram and so I see it as a uh, major win uh, for social media that's
1: for sure oh yeah you definitely should that's awesome I mean and you know that's a really good point you brought up that I mean like sometimes you're just trying to show other farmers what you're doing and not them mm-hmm. having like hating on what you're doing because I mean I mean, no two farms are alike. And I feel like a lot of people don't really realize that. Like what works in Texas might not work in Minnesota or Washington. And yeah, they might not realize that at a first glance. And so, I mean, it's cool. And I'm glad to hear that there's kind of like a lot of open collaboration between farmers too. I mean, using social media, like, hey, I tried this or I'm going to try that. What do you think? And I mean, I know social media gets kind of a bad rap a lot of times, but I mean, there's definitely, I feel like a lot of good there when people can share ideas, share stories, motivate each other, and and then all that good stuff. And I mean, and I'm, I'm looking at your videos now on Instagram. I mean, you've got like 66,000 views on one video, 20,000 on another. Like there's a bunch of great videos on here.
2: Yeah, no, I, I've done pretty well for myself and uh, videos are fun. And there we go. Uh, yeah, there we go. I think fig- we're going to pause. Sorry, I figured out how to do it. anyway uh yeah i did and it was it was fun and you know i got a drone last fall and i've been using that quite a bit and uh i mean shoot it's been it's just been one thing after another i don't i don't really make any money off of things i got banned from uh making any sort of money on tiktok because i kept crossing the community guidelines which is a bunch of bull crap.
1: oh that's annoying that's
2: oh it's that's crazy so I don't get any revenue off of it. So it's uh, it's just something that I do. If it was a job, like I got some money off of it, shoot, I'd be doing it w- a lot more. <laughs> I
1: bet. Yeah, I think your latest one was like a drone shot. And those are, I love drone shot videos. They're so cool, especially in ag. I, I interviewed one guy, um, Pete. He's from, he's a chicken farmer in um, Canada and he's been doing the same thing. He, he's been yeah. doing like drone shots and they're so cool to watch because you can literally like, get right up in there in the harvester and see what's going on
2: yeah it's awesome and you know i used it this spring when i was planting milo i'd follow the planter along real close and make sure that nothing was off or nothing wasn't working right And oh that's cool you know get way up close without having to stop the tractor
1: that's not bad i had a friend that had um the that old i think it was like the first generation gopro drone and he would fly it to his parents house to check on them see what they're doing and then he'd fly it back <laughs> but it was like five miles away He said they'd call them. They just see like a drone hover in their back window and then fly off. It was was pretty funny. I was like, that's that's a clever use for a drone. Yeah, it is. (laughs) All right. So also we, we, we kind of mentioned this a little bit. You're a seventh generation farmer. So what's, is there kind of a lot of pressure there? I mean, how does that feel to kind of be seventh generation carrying it on?
2: For me, I, I have, so my family, there's eight kids. Mm. Uh, my parents had eight kids. And uh, for me, I never felt pressured by my dad to be a part of the farm. In fact, I don't think he pressured any of us kids to want to continue it. I think Mm -hmm. he wanted to say, if you want to do it, then that's fine. If not, we'll let it go. And we've had that conversation before. You know, there's always going to be conflict in a family farm. That's if whether it's just between me and dad or between a sibling and me, you know, it's, there's not going to be, it's just, it's not going to be easy peasy. And so for me, I never felt pressured. I loved doing it. I love sitting on a tractor. I love getting to go check crops. I love the, the work side of it. I don't mm-hmm. love the penciling side of it. Having to, you know, make <laughs> sure everything works right uh, money wise, but it's something you have to do. But uh, you know, for us, I mean, we're, we're an average sized farm for this area and there's a lot of pride that goes along with how many generations have been here. And, uh, there is pressure from that mm-hmm. just knowing that, you know, my, my great, great, great grandpa or whatever you want to say is maybe watching me from up above saying, man, I hope he does this right or something <laughs> like that. But, you know, overall, I just, uh, I feel like it's OK. And uh, I'd hate to fail, but I'd sure hate to kill myself by trying to work so hard not to fail. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah.
1: And, yeah. You know, I think happy medium. I like that. So and also going off of that, like how much are you trying to have kind of your own spin on it? Like I know times are always changing. Technology is always improving. So how are you kind of both balancing? I don't know, like the family tradition of maybe growing the same crops versus mm-hmm. adapting to new technology and new stuff. You
2: know, Dad has done really well in the past couple of years of adapting with some things. And I'll I'll come into the office every now and then and kind of show him this new thing that I think is really cool and it'd be nice to try. And he'll always say, "I'll think about it." Which is, basically, <laughs> uh, yeah. but for me, so there's Dad's corporation for his farm, and then there's my corporation, and Dad and I are partnered on my corporation, and so. I always get to say, I get a say in whatever is done with my ground because it's half mine and half his mm-hmm. at that point. That way he can kind of help me and still, I'm still financially backed by him in case something does go wrong. And it's a lot easier to, to rent ground to a, Oh, 60 something year old man versus a 24 year old man. Oh, okay. Lord. So having him with me helps a lot. He's my dad. I trust whatever he says. And so that's kind of how it works. We still have some stuff uh, from the from generations before. My great great grandpa, he would uh, no great grandpa, excuse me. He he collected. I don't know how many antique tractors and cars and just anything he could you could find from the iron uh, side of farming, like 1900s. And so uh, he would keep and restore. And uh, we actually, I actually own one of the uh, one of the tractors that he restored. And it's just kind of a cool piece of history for me because, you know, I knew, I know he worked on it. I know it's got his blood, sweat and tears on it and it sits in the barn. And, you know, it's just something for me to, to uh, look at and just, you know, feel good about. And so, uh, you know, it's just, it's different, but it's okay.
1: Oh yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Kind of like a family heirloom. It sounds like that can be, I mean, that's really cool. I like that. That's awesome. So I mean, what are your future plans for your operation? Are you wanting to grow it? Are you wanting to diversify? What are you thinking about the future?
2: Well, there's not, sadly, there's not much room to really diversify for the farm part. We could Mm. have cattle, uh, which I think we will look into in the next couple of years, especially with my wife. She loves cattle. She loves cattle,
1: okay.
2: But uh, for me, I want to grow the farm. Uh, I think, Lord willing, what I'd like to do is at least triple our acreage by the time I'm 50. Uh, I don't want to be the biggest, baddest farmer out there, but I want to be able to be sustainable with just farming. My dad, uh, he's farmed and he's also a CPA Mm -hmm. and that's a helps him kind of be able to farm. And although I love that about him and he's done very well for himself, I want, I don't want to have to have another job. I want to be able to farm and sit in my office during the winter and kind of figure things out for the next year. And that's what I want to do. And uh, so I just got to continue growing our acreage. I'm, I make myself very well known around the area to landlords and uh, you know, I'm not stabbing anybody in the back. I'm, you know, I, 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 uh, I feel as though that's wrong, but I'm not, well, I'm not uh, afraid of a little competition either. And oh, yeah. so, That's kind of my future plan. Um, like I said, I think we will have cattle in the future and, uh, I'm not too excited about that,
1: but (laughs) why is that?
2: And so I kind of happy wife, happy life, right? (laughs)
1: Oh yeah. Happy wife, happy life. Yeah. So, I mean, how hard would it be to start getting cattle? I mean, of course you got to put in fences, you got to get food, medicine, all that stuff. What What would that be like?
2: So my granddad actually had registered Hereford's, uh, back in the day. And uh, we have some pasture land. The family does. Uh, we leased it to a, a good friend of ours. But for me, it wouldn't be too difficult to at least start a little herd. And uh, I've actually got some land of my own, or that lease, that has pasture land. So it wouldn't be too difficult to start a small herd and just kind of grow from there. Mm. Uh, I hate admitting that because Elise <laughs> is going to. But you know it is what it is, and so I don't think it'd be too difficult around here. Most guys they they run cattle and they farm. It's a good way. Usually, if the cattle market's high, grain prices are low, and vice versa. Mm. And one will make money and one will lose money one way or another. And so you can always kind of find a way. And uh, you know, having a freezer full of beef is never a problem. And so that's kind of that's kind of the plan for the next. I think it's going to be five years of just kind of stepping
1: into it, tippy-toeing away into it, I guess. I got to Yeah, that's like, that sounds like a good idea. I'm trying to convince my wife. She also likes cows. But I want to convince her that we can find another couple and, like, go have these on a cow. I mean, that way <laughs> we can have a freezer filled with beef. So you I'm bet. trying to convince her of that because, I mean, that'll last us, like, I don't know, eight, ten months. I mean, we'll see. Oh. But that would be awesome. Long time. Oh yeah. Yeah. We've got a kind of a family friend that has like a small herd, I think like 10 or 12 head. And I think he's going to slowly start processing them. So hopefully there you go. we slide in there, get some beef. That wouldn't be bad. That'd be enjoyable. Yeah. That's awesome. So, all right, here's a random question. Um, you're doing a great job of educating people about what farmers do. If there would, I, I think you're doing a great job. You're doing awesome. <laughs> like Your videos are, are super cool. I mean, they're, they're fun to watch. And I feel like that's the most important thing that a lot of people miss. Like they're fun and they're also informative. So you got to focus on the fun that way people actually watch them. That's right. So if, if, if a consumer wanted to learn more about kind of like how their food's made, how it's grown, what, from your perspective as a farmer, what, what are some resources that you would recommend? Like to, to reach out to an extension agent or something, what would be your, your um, advice for that?
2: Well, every state has the Department of Agriculture. And I would say start there and look it up. I mean, whatever your state is, ours is Texas uh, Department of Agriculture. And you just look that up and you can find uh, most information on there. But I mean, social media is a huge tool. Uh, I don't always reply to every DM that I get. I try to, but so many get asked me, I don't. And uh, if you're wanting to ask a question, let me know or put it on. It's a lot easier to just comment on a post than DM me. But anyway, I think. Finding, uh, sites that are for agriculture, not against is a major problem. And, you know, ask a farmer, don't, don't believe, you know, tutti frutti on online saying, you know, we, we dump chemical waste into our fields. Cause we don't, a farmer's land, a farmer's soil is what keeps his farm going. He's not going to want to, to destroy that in any way possible. And if he is, then he's not a farmer. He really isn't And so I think it's important for you know society to realize that our land is what keeps us going and mm-hmm. if we don't take care of it it won't take care of us. And so dude, you just got to get out and be willing to ask people and you know a lot of farmers that are of the uh, old from anywhere of to 50 to 70 years old they're very defensive when it comes to people asking because they grew up in the time where, agriculture was starting to get beat up on a lot mm-hmm. so when somebody some random person just walks up to them it's very de- it's in there like they're just going to be defensive because they don't want to put themselves in a position that could you know make them lose the farm or something so I'd suggest looking for younger guys that kind of understand more about agriculture and more about society uh one thing that I do enjoy that I don't like to share uh, but a lot of people always ask me, how many acres do you farm? Now, from a farmer's standpoint, uh, you know, if I asked another fellow farmer, how much do you f- t- how many acres do you run? That would be me literally just asking, Trevor, how much money do you make in a year? Right. That yeah. Our way of saying, no, I'm not going to share that. And a lot of people outside of agriculture don't realize that's what they're saying. It's not their fault. I think they just want to understand what or how many acres a farmer can farm personally, just myself, I farm two sections. That's all 1200 acres. And dad has quite a bit more, but that's just my own farm. I don't mind telling people that. And I think that there's kind of a a shift because there's a lot of people that don't mind sharing their acreage because to them, it's not that big of a deal because nobody knows the yields or whatever, but a lot of farmers just don't share that. And, but that's from farmer to farmer. And so, you know, there's just a lot of different little quirks about the farmer whole society. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, dude, I did, I just did another broad stroke. So how <laughs> people
1: kind of no, caught. I up. mean, that was great. Cause I mean, honestly, that's something I, I ask all the time, like, oh, how big is your farm? How many acres? And like, like I, I understand like the size, the acreage of it, but I mean, like, yeah, like you said, a farmer will know exactly kind of roughly how much money that is, but like me uh, for the layman, I have no clue how much money that yeah. is, but that's actually, I never really would have thought about that. Well, I like that's, that.
2: Kind of, that's kind of how it is. And I get asked that all the time on social media. And so it's kind of difficult to be able to share that. Mm-hmm. Uh, It's because you never know if it's like your neighbor just using a fake profile,
1: (laughs) a burner account. Yeah. I'm a a, a spy on Dan. I'm going to ask him how many acres he he
2: has. (laughs) And so you just got to be kind of careful, I guess.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's true. I can imagine. And, and I mean, yeah, I think all your stuff is great. Um, If people want to follow you, you're farmer, Dan 97 on Instagram, what are your other channels and and your name on there?
2: Any platform look up farmer, Dan 97. That's, That's pretty much it. YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, uh, and Instagram. And, uh, if you want to keep up with me, look, follow me on Instagram. That's kind of where I really do my stuff. And, you know, it's fun. I enjoy social media. It, it allows things like this to happen. And I want to thank you for having me on your show. This is awesome. And, uh, you know, it's just, there's so many connections you can make, not just with farmers, but with consumers and not even, Not even as the consumer realm, but just people who don't live on a farm anymore. You know, you can—I've heard it said more than once—you can trace back uh, a person's generations. Then you can go back three generations, and that third generation was living on a farm. And so people have gradually moved to the city, which is fine, but they—they were generally started their family on a farm, and that that knowledge about farms, that knowledge of where your food comes from has kind of gone away. Mm. And so I think it's important for anyone in agriculture to share your story because without it, nobody's going to know. And it's not like I want to be known as Farmer Dan for the rest of my life. I don't plan to continue social media for the rest of my life. But for me, it's something to use to educate, but also have fun and tease other guys about farming and you know, just meet some really cool people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I'm, I was super excited to have you on. I mean, you, I replied and you replied within like an hour, like it was great. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it's so great because especially going back to that three generations thing, I mean, like my grandpa was a farmer and he, he had a catfish farm up here in, um, in North Florida. It was super fun. He, he grew yeah, hybrid tough. brass and, um, and catfish and it was so fun. So Literally, anytime we wanted to have a guaranteed catch, we'd go to the farm, catch it, cook it, clean it. It was great. It was awesome. But yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of people are getting more and more curious about where their food comes from, especially with social media. They can go up there and literally just search like, oh, I want to find like a a beef rancher or I don't Mm -hmm. know, somebody that grows tomatoes and you can find somebody and see exactly how it's grown. Like no matter what country you're in, of course, if that country grows it. And so, yeah, I think sometimes it gets a bad rap, but I think social media has been a great tool that a lot of people like you are, are using. So, but yeah, well, Dan, I really appreciate it, man. This was an awesome interview. Excited to chat with you. Um, can't wait to see all of your more your content coming forward in the spring when you guys start planning again. So that'll be exciting. Looking forward to it.
2: You bet. Well, thank you for for having me on your show, Trevor.
1: Absolutely, man. I really appreciate it. Again, that was episode 129 with Farmer Dan. Thank you so much for listening and be sure to check out Dan at the links below in the description of this episode. And don't forget, every Friday over on our YouTube channel, we have a new show called Farm News Friday, where we cover cool farming, agriculture, and food news in seven to eight minutes. So it's quick, it's fun. You should go check it out. Just go on YouTube and look for Farm Traveler or you might've guessed it, Go into the description and you will see a link. Those are every Friday and they're funny, they're informative, and you'll enjoy it. Thanks so much and we'll see you next week.